NFL Week 5 Market Outlook. We are 13 and 7, 65% in our circuit contests. We started off the season 4 and 1 and we've been 3 and 2 every subsequent week. I think we're sitting pretty, but this is where it starts to get tough. We were way more attuned to who some of these teams were going to be at least in the beginning of the season and we were able to capitalize on that but now the market's caught up to a lot of those things and the margin for actually capturing some of that alpha just gets more and more difficult yeah and then now we're also going to start to get buys coming up here as well so the slate's going to be shorter less opportunity Prices are going to be more accurate, just really difficult. Yeah. So I think that's a really great intro of a general framework of the betting season. To me, it's like the first four weeks are test your off season hypotheses against what the market's saying. And like the next four to six weeks are really about how do you quantify the change, right? And like, how are you going to adjust and build in still like holding on to some off season prior, but also accounting for the new information that's coming in because you can't just be holding on to the off season data and you can't just be diving fully in and it's like managing that change and seeing what's really what's built in what did we actually know from the off season and from the early weeks and know what is like fundamentally shifted right it's a very helpful framework i think going into the next four six weeks thinking about our off season priors and how they played out over the first four weeks and how we may adjust those over the next four weeks is i can't really think of anything that we've been like dramatically wrong about. Oh, we need to flip the script on this and we need to do it fast because we're losing money fading this team or betting on this team and it's just not playing out properly. Even the Eagles, for instance, like we weren't red hot on the Eagles, but we definitely allowed for that potential outcome to be there. It just wasn't something that we were necessarily going to be betting on. Yeah. All right, maybe Jalen Hurts is good. Maybe he's not. We don't know yet. Yeah. And that's something still that we need know. to... Yeah. We still don't know yet. And that's the other thing is, yeah. Is the market overshooting on some expectations now, things that we may want to take yeah. advantage of or even undershooting? These are the questions we have to ask, which is like, how is the market pricing and change versus how much is fundamentally actually changed? And that's where you that's where you get the alpha and at this point of the season. Mm -hmm. And to just quickly reflect on that week four. So in our circuit picks, as we can show on the screen here, we had the Browns. We talked about trying to grade our handicaps here. The one thing that makes me a little bit disappointed in picking the Browns was I know at the very end of the week, you had mentioned you started getting cold feet on this pick and that you ended up not even betting it. Didn't bet right? it at all. Yeah, and that's a, a misstep because I know like at this time last week, we both liked the Browns for a pretty strong fundamental thesis. Arjun liked it. I loved their handicap, but then those injuries started to trickle in. And so that was something that all of us were going back and forth with a little bit around, is this something we still want? exposure to. We talk constantly about the two-sided DCs. I was certainly on board with the Browns side early in the week. And then like once I saw or after Garrett got into the car crash and Clowney was ruled out, it was like, oh, I'm not so sure now. Uh, and the other thing was like, relative to the market, I'm still, I think, pretty bullish on the Falcons. Right? I've been beating the drum that I think Arthur Smith's a brilliant play designer. I think that actually showed this week in his run designs where he was constantly ripping off chunk gains. I have a little bit of regret not leaning into the fact that like, I'm still higher on the Falcons than most. I really should have been accounting for that in uh, a game that was basically a pickup. I still don't mind the Browns pick because I think no. the handicap on it was still very sound. And one of the things we'll get into is our 
drive quality scoreboard where we assess game by game, evaluate the quality of each team's drive over the course of the game, assign them earned points, and see how that aggregates up and see what the outcome of that is. And you gotta get a sense of what was really happening underneath that final score. And it's pretty clear too, the Falcons did not play well no. in that game. A few things here or there, the Browns win this game, cover this game. That's why I don't regret the pick. From a handicapping perspective, I would grade this as a B plus. My only uh, caveat there is just the yellow flags of, all right, the handicap has changed from Wednesday to Friday. Do we want to account for that? And then on the other side of the ball, yeah, that was a team that we still were bullish on over the over the course of the season, certainly in, in the front half of the season. And then one of the things we were talking about last week was the quality of play, the quality of competition that the Browns have played this season, which has been some of the easiest. Yeah. And so I think for those reasons, I think maybe just, oh, is there potentially another opportunity? So I give this a B plus. Yeah, I give it a B minus for the reasons I got one. And again, we still only missed it by basically exactly. a yard. Exactly. <laughs> this game could have played out very differently, yeah. Jags plus six and a half was our other loser. I'll still grade this handicap, I'm gonna say with a B plus as well. Maybe a little bit too early to lean into the Jags versus a very kind of top quality team still on the road in questionable weather. We knew the weather could potentially be a little bit dicey. It just kept getting worse, the projections, and it turned out to be a pretty sloppy game. But I would bet it again, we're off to a 14 nothing lead there. Just one of those kind of Trevor Lawrence turnovers just doesn't turn into a turnover. Yeah. They drive the ball a little bit. They were moving the ball. How many turns, they have four or five turnovers and they still, yeah, still within striking distance. And we still only didn't cover this game by a point and a half. If anything, I am upgrading the Jags yeah. after that game. Yeah, I would give this an A minus also. We spoke about this, about be wanting to be ahead of the curve, which is like the narrative was, Eagles are the best team in the NFL. And like the Jags narrative was, oh, we need one week. By our numbers, this team was every bit as good, if not better than the Eagles. And it wasn't because of the poor competition they faced. But I want to be ahead in a game like that. The Eagles are pretty good. I'm still not ready to call them elite. I would definitely bet this again. And then we close out with Chiefs, Jets, Chargers to end that week three and two. Chiefs is an A+. Plus. I was going to say, you better give me an A+. Plus yeah, especially, uh, again, I think this is like the second week in a row, leaning in to the line, getting smashed down your throat in the opposite direction and just saying, give it to me, baby. Keep coming right. at me. That's right. And the Chiefs just sailed past the Bucks in that game and covered your alt line. This is yeah. a game like, out of all your alt lines so far on a season to date basis, this was the one that I still bet it, <laughs> uh, but I was like less comfortable about it. Cause I'm like, man, it's gonna be tough for the Chiefs to low out the Bucks. That was an awesome bet, an awesome handicap. Yeah, for all the reasons we outlined earlier, like the market was pricing these two teams for what they were last year and what the offseason suggested. And the Bucks have taken a huge step back. And I think the Chiefs have taken a step forward, at least relative to the rest of the league. Give myself an A+. I'm not sure I'll have another A-plus all year. This was definitely it. You keep saying that every week, but then you keep getting another A-plus. So. Okay. Uh, Eventually, Jets, it's going to out. Jets plus three. I'll give this one a B-plus because the Jets hung tough, and that's what we expected. The handicap, I think, 
is an A plus because it actually played out exactly the way that we thought it could potentially play out. Like it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Probably going to be ugly. We're still betting on a bad team here versus another bad team. Things we don't like to do. Yeah. But the whole handicap was Zach Wilson's going to introduce some pretty wild variants. It's going to increase the distribution of, of outcomes, and it's going to increase the ones that would cover plus three yeah. in our favor. And what I loved about this as well is in circa. Jets was the 30th most popular pick. I'll take a play out of what I think is your playbook here, which is I wanted to exactly fade the narrative that, oh, Zach Wilson was bad in his rookie year. He's going on the road in his first game against a aggressive defense who generates a lot of turnovers. I really wanted to fade that narrative. I'm ready to say, no, Zach Wilson's going to take a step up in year two, especially with better wide receivers. Garrett Wilson has been absolutely amazing. And like, I've been fitting the Steelers defense from week one. No, it's a bunch of luck on the turnover side. They're probably not going to be able to do it year over year. This is a bad defense. And for all the reasons you, you outlined about Zach Wilson introducing more positive variants, I thought this was also a B plus here. This is another angle and betting strategy and positioning strategy that we want to make sure we continue to lean into when we're evaluating matchups. It's like, we need to make sure we capture what is the narrative driving this game. If you're betting the Steelers, why are you betting the Steelers? And if you're betting the Jets, why are you betting the Jets? And when we fundamentally disagree with a thesis, because we don't do that all the time. Sometimes you go, yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I understand that. But when the thesis can just be like so wrong, it's like, wow, if that's why you're betting the Steelers, then give me as much Jets exposure as I can get. I think those are the types of things we want to continue to keep at the top of our head when we're evaluating these matchups. And then closed out with Chargers. This one turned out to be much more difficult than it otherwise had to be, but still classic Chargers. On our live game trade, we're sitting there pretty comfortable. I think even when the Texans were out up to plus 22 and a half or whatever, I was like, ah, maybe should we take a little bit of Texans? Like, I just don't trust the Chargers. And I was like, no, nah, the Texans are bad. Yeah, the Texans are bad. But it's just like that the Chargers good. just let teams creep. Yeah, you had the right play there. I just don't want to be like, no, the Texans are bad. The Texans are bad. They're not moving the ball. You were definitely right on that one. And then we ended up having to sweat it in the well, end. We had where, like a, a seven minutes of sweat. And then again, like the Chargers did the adult thing, which they should do is we are the better team. Exactly. We are better coached. We have more talent. Let's pull away. Yeah. And they did, but that's not really in their DNA to do that. And luckily they were playing a bottom two team, yeah. but this is something I want to continue to be careful about and cautious about betting these chargers, especially given that they're more vulnerable today than they have been in the past with some of the injuries that they're dealing with. I know they have an elite quarterback. I know he mitigates a lot of the injuries that they have, but I think it's just still something you want to be careful about for sure. betting the Chargers. And actually, I'll give, but I'll give this handicap probably a B plus, A minus in that range. The reason I slid Chargers in is because I was going back and listening to our handicaps on this stream from last week. And you were pretty clear and defiant that this line is off. It should be Charger 7. Charger 7 is fair. 5 is mispriced. And some of the other games that we had in our preliminary pool that at the end of the week, you didn't have the same conviction. You know, and so it was like just the me being like the portfolio manager here, being able to make sure like I'm capitalizing on the research and analysis that you're providing and making sure that benefits us both. Because sometimes it's always sucks so much when those slip through the cracks. Yeah. So that's already happened a few times this yeah. season where it's, oh, if we just went, went back and listened to ourselves. Yeah. 
probably would have had elevated that pick even higher. Yeah. I think this was a very strong handicapping week despite going three and two. Something just didn't go our way. I'm also very pumped that we went three and two because one of the things how we framed last week's handicapping was, man, we're really off market this week. We're like fading a lot of public plays. Like a lot of people like disagree with the way we're positioning. Like we're taking the other side of a lot of kind of very popular trades. Yeah. And it turned out to be week four was a very public consensus success story week. Yeah. So it was one of the worst weeks for the books. Usually that, if you're a sharper better, that means you probably underperformed. Yeah. And we can look at our crowded position dashboard, which basically highlights some of those matchups where the public were really leaning in to certain matchups. And right off the bat, right on that early morning Sunday, you were on tilt, you were talking about right, right away, because it's like, you know, 50% of the circa pool had the Vikings and they squeak out the cover. They were one of the most popular picks in Circa, one of the most crowded positions according to our dashboard. They're in the number one survivor pick. It was just like everyone was pounding Vikings. None of them deserved the cover and it would have been so sweet for them to earn their reward with a nice, fat, juicy L. But then they got lucky and the public pretty much just went pretty much cruised across the boards. Cowboys was another very crowded position. They won and covered easily. And then the same thing with the Cardinals. And pretty much all the way down the line, it was pretty much all public covers. Yeah. So I'm glad we were able to squeak out, find a three and two amidst that rubble. There. That's right. Also, we are trading early NFL games every Sunday. We've been doing really well. One of, you can see at the bottom of the screen, some of the trades that we made on Sunday. One of the things I highlighted in our NFL Sunday, NFL opening bell newsletter was to look for an opportunity to lean into the Colts plus points. That's exactly what we did on the stream live. We said lean in to Titans at the beginning of the game, knowing that the Titans have historically over the course of the season started out very hot. They're one of the hottest teams when it comes to those scripted plays. A turnover helped that case even more in this game. And so the Colts were like very quickly bang down 14 points. And then as you can see at the bottom of the screen, we leaned into Colts plus seven, which was uncomfortable, but ended up getting the push. And we also got Colts plus 14. And then we also took advantage of some of those unders. That was another thing that you highlighted in some of your notes, Judah, as well as, hey, if this game starts out hot, which we think it potentially could be because again, the Titans start off hot with those scripted plays and this total jumps, get some exposure to that under and yep. that played out as well. Yep, not only is it a lot of fun and profitable so far, but I'm sure you'll learn something. Yeah, that is super fun. It's fun to engage with folks. Dan's in there pretty much every week. One of our number one fans uh... and, and Arjun. Yeah. And Arjun is in there providing us with ideas and commentary and thoughts and help us better craft our bets and make sure that we're making those proper live decisions. And live betting is one of the toughest skill sets to have because you don't have this, oh, five, six days of handicapping. You need to go in with a plan. You need to be able to execute under pressure and be able to put those plans into practice, have the moxie and the determination to be able to do that and to be able to capitalize on the handicapping prowess and the IP that we think that we have at our disposal. And so far we've been able to do that all season and uh, looking forward to another one this coming Sunday. And then lastly, just to close on last week, here's our drive quality scoreboard, evaluating each team's drive, assigning them some earned points for the quality of that drive, and then aggregating those points into another alternative score 
but we also have some other metrics on here, including time-weighted average margin. So looking at what was the team's lead or what was the team's deficit multiplied by the time that they held that lead or deficit, which can give you a sense of how much that team was winning or losing by over the course of the game. It helps flesh out some of those otherwise misleading scores where there's a huge ramp up in scoring or a team pulls away in the final minutes or there's a pick six that was meaningless in the end. This kind of can give you a more accurate sense of how competitive that team really was in, in that matchup. And we also have the time-weighted average win probability. Again, taking that same methodology, just using the win probability, these give you a way more accurate sense of how that game played out. So it's just another alternative statistic that helps give you a sense of how some of these games played out. And this is something that we'll be posting more often on Twitter. I know, Judah, you're going to talk about it in your weekly reflections note. So everyone check that out as well. But we're kind of looking at this drive quality scoreboard. Does anything stick out to you, Judah? Yeah, a couple of things. First is the Broncos-Raiders game, which I think there was a, it was 10-10, the Broncos were driving and there was a 65-yard fumble return, which I think shifted the game. But the Raiders won by, what was it, 10-11? They didn't even cover that eight and a half teaser leg that I know a bunch of people were on. It was like, okay, I heard a podcast, basically people talking about like the Broncos and it's okay, are we off board? And everyone unanimously was like, yeah, I'm ready to sell. I wouldn't be too jumpy on that. Something also that I think is pretty interesting is the Broncos and Cardinals both didn't play their preseason starters at all. Both got walloped in week one. One, the Cardinals actually got destroyed by the Chiefs in the second as the Broncos put up a, a stinker against Seattle. All this is to say, Everyone's ready to jump off the Broncos on account of this week. And I don't think that's actually reasonable or fair, especially I would not be using this past week as evidence to sell. Yeah. And our drive quality scoreboard essentially says this game was oh, yeah. tied 27 to 27. Time-weighted average margin was just minus two. So indicating that this is a very tight game. The final score of the double digit win is misrepresentative of the quality of the drives that these te two teams put together. So yeah, th there's reasons to potentially not be hot on the Broncos, but if you're doing it off this game, that's unjustified. There's some like other surprising scores here. I'm not sure too many actual takeaways, uh, like Packers, Patriots, for instance. Uh, 29-21, I would not have guessed. It seemed like the Patriots were in control there for most of the game. And even the Eagles-Jaguars really looks like a lot more of a blowout. Just yeah, that was the biggest surprising one to me yeah. as well. But what I think that's taking into consideration is in both those games you just highlighted, both those teams had pick sixes, exactly. uh, which potentially altered that score. And then they just didn't really put together any meaningfully great offensive drives, especially that pick six in the Patriots game, totally changed the outcome of that, probably changed the way the Packers were offensively gonna continue to play their game. And then as we talked about earlier, this, again, bringing merit to it, this drive quality scoreboard showing the Browns winning 23 to 22, but it's still being a close game. All right, let's get into NFL week five so we'd start off with bears vikings bears plus seven hard to bet the vikings they continued to underwhelm week in week out didn't look good last week versus the saints haven't looked good pretty much all season except for maybe the first half versus the packers i don't think you can take either side here i think the vikings take is spot on but betting on justin fields and the bears often like it's an adventure to get to 17 points every week. The Fields' passing prop is being set at 150 every week. 
for good reason. Like, even as, say what you will about Fields, like, the surrounding talent is as bad as it gets. The Vikings have done uh, what the Vikings do, which is just underwhelm and show flashes of brilliance, and I have no idea if that flash is going to come this week. I'm staying away. Yeah, it's like the seven could be superficially attractive. I feel like any kind of square, sharp betters out there, hey, it's a division game. For the Vikings, it's still Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins has historically played clunky games versus the Bears, even with some pretty big spreads. But I think it's just getting way too cute trying to take the Bears here. Plus seven, as, as much as the Vikings have underwhelmed, they at least look like a professional football team, yeah, a professional sure. offense that can score points and still have the best wide receiver in the game. And it's certainly a competent enough quarterback that can show flashes. Yeah. And the Bears have none of them. I'm looking right now to see what price you can get on an alt line. Because this at least is, I'd be willing to sprinkle something because there's a real angle, of, as I just said, the Vikings can hit a ceiling game, especially against the bad Bears de defense. And I don't know how the, the Bears are scoring points. Maybe I would take a little bit of a caution, say that's pretty unanimous, is that the Bears are a bottom two or three team, if not the worst team. And the Bears haven't been blown out yet this season. They always kind of hang around in these kind of really ugly games. Who was their, who are their week two and three opponents? Packers. Oh, well, Packers, um, Packers was a bit of a blow. The, the Packers pulled away, but the Bears were up seven zip. And then Fields didn't get the touchdown on like the one yard line. They ended up with no points. Yeah. Also, like they played the Texans, the Giants, and the Niners with Lance in the monsoon. Yes. Good so point. this is why, if anything, if the price is being pushed down on that logic, I'd actually fade that. We just haven't seen like that spark, that optimism that was there after that first game. There's been no follow through, but maybe it circles back. Because one of the things I wanted to mention too is thinking back to our preseason previews is looking at those power rankings and the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs and the reversions back to some of those initial preseason expectations that would happen from time to time. And people just jumping ship off entire meaningful substantive narratives of certain teams off just yeah two back-to-back -back weeks of bad performances. Like, oh, I guess we were wrong and flip the script. And yeah, I don't have any good reason to think that like Kevin McConnell's actually made meaningful changes, right? The same run pass ratios, the same like Justin Jefferson, it was a one, one week anomaly of him being lined up on, on linebackers and safeties. That was, at least for me, my take yeah, of this sure. team fundamentally changed that it hasn't actually turned into anything meaningful. I see the seven is less meaningful in a game in which I think one of the teams is going to have a very difficult time scoring, but it's hard to back Minnesota considering they really haven't shown anything. But if you're a better who is attracted to Minnesota in this matchup, playing the alt line is probably going to give you the yeah. best bang for your buck. Yeah. If you have good reason to think Minnesota will hit their ceiling outcome, which I think is actually larger this week than it would be any other week, bet the alt line. Lions plus three at New England. Detroit still banged up. Patriots now looks like Hoyer's probably going to be out, especially with all the sensitivity around concussions right now and not wanting to make a fool of yourself. So it looks like it's going to be the rookie quarterback with Zappy. He didn't look bad. He even looks good in certain flashes versus a tough Packers defense. Open two and a half, and now it's been pushed to three. Detroit. On the road, they played in domes all season, half their games at home. It's ostensibly the worst defense, maybe not just in the NFL, but maybe in history of the NFL at this point in time. Versus obviously a still extremely well-coached Patriots team that's gonna wanna run the ball, milk the clock, take advantage and exploit all the weaknesses that Detroit has to offer. I need to really need to see the Lions injuries here. 
that's the real answer, but I don't think that Zappi is the type of quarterback who will be able to take advantage of the Lions' weakness on defense. If there were ever a game where the Lions' defense can perform, okay, it's against Zappi and the Patriots. But there, there's a big question mark on whether or not to buy the offense exactly in this spot. For all the reasons you mentioned, they've been playing in domes, they're very hurt. Going up against the Patriots is still spooky, even though I think they're probably just like average to maybe slightly below league average. Yeah, I agree. I don't really know. It seems a little icky to back the Lions in this spot. Like, I feel like I'll have better options. But if I find that, like, the rest of this week is disgusting, I actually really don't mind backing the Lions, leaning into our numbers and saying, you know, this offense is really good and Zappi does not have the capability of taking advantage of the Lions' defense. Because, like, no matter how you slice it, and even with the injuries, I guess, last week, they still put up 40 points. They're still putting up 40 points every week. So, like, I'd lean into that and the angle that, like, Zappi's not going to be able to take advantage of the Lions' defense. Maybe this could be a potentially sneaky, attractive under, what is it, 46 and a half right now? Yeah. 45 and a half? For exactly what you're talking about. And also, I just don't think Belichick's even going to put the ball in Zappi's hands for them. Because that's what he's been prone to do, especially with the, their younger quarterbacks, is just lean into the run game, lean into the offensive line, milk the clock try to score just enough points and just get the game over with and get out with a victory. And for that reason, maybe three is not attractive. I definitely don't see the Lions scoring another 40 points in the elements yeah. versus the Bill Belichick defense that's not elite, but it's competent. Yeah, I think this is, and the way you're framing it, is a good Lions jump out to a lead bet Lions live, basically saying Zappy's not able to bring him back. But if they're able to lean on the run, maybe it's a Patriots side. Yeah, and they'll continue to expose the Lions, and it could be a Patriots sign in and under, where like they just hold clock and milk the game that way. This is another one that looks like it's going to be a very crowded position. So far, under my kind of anecdotal market assessment, I haven't heard any handicappers coming out and saying that they like the Lions oh, at really? all. It's all Patriots. Really? You? Yeah. Ooh. I was offline today. I missed a bunch okay. of it. The dominant narrative off that Lions loss to the Seahawks is, oh my gosh, they lost to the Seahawks. Oh my gosh, this defense is absolutely miserable. Now we're going to go play Bill Belichick. And the Patriots just almost beat the Packers. I think that's the narrative. And this is a short line. Certainly attractive. Yeah, this is making me like the Lions a little more. Like, I kind of want to trust our numbers. I need to run what our model says this game should be. But I want to trust our numbers in a spot like this, which is like heavy narrative pushing against it. What does data with a little bit of context say? Yep. Seahawks at New Orleans plus five and a half. I think this opened closer to a touchdown. So Seahawks getting bid. Looks like it's going to be Andy Dalton again. Saints also still banged up. I think it's going to be no Michael Tom. I'm not taking anything from this game. I don't think only because first off the market's not like pricing a massive they've moved up on the seahawks but are not saying this is a three which is keeping me off the Saints side right and i also think the five and a half is probably a lot with an offense run by andy dalton right it's just it's going to be hard for them to continue to extend leads which is the thing you could say about james winston is that like you could throw a 60 yard touchdown pass to chris olave like that boom extend the lead for dalton it's going to be drive after drive and you need to stack up four or five of those to really build the lead and I'm still waiting to see. I don't really have a good read on the Seahawks. So I'm not really excited to bet that side or bet against them. Yeah, because as impressive as some of their offensive outings have been, and then you also have a game like that versus the Niners. Yeah. Where they essentially scored zero offensive points. Yeah. And I still think the Saints defense is very good. They're at home. I just don't. 
I don't like it. I don't have a good enough read. Yeah. It's very hard to follow through for a Pete Carroll coach team to have some like really good offensive games and that it becomes like a sustainable trend. Then yeah. there's always this dud of a game, like in between. <laughs> yeah. Because he abandons whatever was working. Yeah. And that happened throughout the Russell Wilson years all the time. And I could definitely see that happening here. I wouldn't be betting Saints probably under any circumstance. So just allowing for the possibility maybe we're wrong about the yeah. Seahawks. And maybe this offense is coming together a little bit more so than we anticipate. They still have stud wide receivers. Yeah. And there's a lot of positive talk about Seahawks play calling and OC and maybe Pete Carroll's letting them do his thing. But I don't know if I necessarily want to bet on that either. That's exactly right. Dolphins minus three on the road at our New York Jets. Well, I think we've bet twice this season already <laughs> right. in the four weeks and won both times. Obviously, this seems like the market is giving a big downgrade to the Dolphins with no Tua. You talked last week heading into that Bengals game, you thought that was a downgrade. Yeah. Was there anything that you saw in that game that might change that? Or how are you seeing this game? I think it's a marginal downgrade. So less of a downgrade than you thought? Meaning the market's pressing it a bit. I think this game is six and a half with Tua, six with Tua. That's too big of a move, I think. But I'm also a little bit higher on the Jets than I think the market is. So it evens out. I would be intrigued by the Jets if it was like, five, five and a half, six. I don't think I can pull it on three. Right, like the Dolphins did just beat the Bills, they did just beat the Ravens. They hung with the best of the best. The Jets are not that. And for all the reasons we were backing Zach Wilson last week, you can say the exact same thing of why we shouldn't back them this week, which is he introduces so much variance. Uh, and I like, he could just go like eight of 16 with two picks in the first half. And the Jets are like falling behind and done. Yeah. Also, Jets pit was a two-sided handicap. Yeah. The type of thing that we're looking for. Yeah. It was a play on the Jets and it was a play off the Steelers. Those are the strongest. Yeah. The fact that the Jets were three and a half point underdogs against the Steelers and now we're going against the Dolphins tells me everything I need to know. Even in just the Zach Wilson variance, there's so many examples of it in that pit game where yeah. there's even a point in time on our live stream where I was talking about, oh, this is why we liked the Jets. It was because of the Zach Wilson variance that as I was saying it, he throws a pick. I guess then that was negative. <laughs> on like third down or whatever it was. But I think the Jets are going to be a bet on team oh, yeah. this season. Oh, yeah. I just um, wish this line seemed sharp to me. And I wish it weren't. The other thing is maybe the Dolphins defense is kind of like sneaky good. I think, oh, this is actually, this leads me to, to an interesting point. The thing we've always said about the Dolphins on offense, which is like they're going to do well in matchups. I do think the Jets have a pretty good secondary. And like the Dolphins still play a ton of man coverage. And the Jets are really good at beating man coverage. Gary Wilson's probably been the best separator in the league so far. And like Elijah Moore is still like his production's not showing up, so the fantasy guys aren't happy. He's still really good. Corey Davis is still a really good number three receiver. And I think their offensive coordinator is giving skimming guys open. Yeah. Um, this is the type of deep, this is the type of offense that can beat man. Highly variant game. It's probably one to avoid. We haven't found anything here so far, so we might get in, be getting desperate. <laughs> Falcons plus nine on the road at Tampa off getting blasted by the Chiefs. The Falcons are now 4-0 ATS. Dan is asking, did the Bucks take a step back or did they just play you know, a better quarterback? I think they take a step back, but we can talk about that another time. Did they take enough of a step back to not be able to cover the nine versus Atlanta. No, I think Coral Patterson is out. 
They were Which, still running. They were still running the ball easily. They easily. were still running the ball easily in that game. Yeah. But now you're playing the no, Bucks run the ball. It's defense. Yeah. And also, Coral Paris is not just about running the ball. Like he adds like different dimension. They weren't using the him as pass catcher. That's what's weird. They're they weren't using him that way, but he still offers the threat of that. And I think defenses understand that, know that, plan for that. And that can open up other opportunities. These running backs are not going to do that. No. And one also, of the things we were talking about in the offseason previews, oh, this dynamic between Mariota and Patterson. Again, it didn't necessarily play out as explosive, but Patterson certainly did put, has put together some really great fantasy games this season. I think that's a, is a meaningful loss. I know normally you don't like to downgrade and eh, who cares like who the running back is. But I think it does matter in this instance. Again, Falcons 4-0. So that means the market's been mispricing the Falcons, something we expected. At some point, there's got to be a correction. Game's also really tough for me. I think on a fundamentals level, I like the Falcons at 9 for sure, for sure. Tampa Bay is still being priced in as the team they were last year, and I have my doubts. They, but the Falcons really match up terribly with the Bucs, which is the Falcons have really been leading on chunk plays in the run game, and the Bucs for, what is it, three years now, have had one of the best run defenses in football. It's not a matchup I'm necessarily willing to bet on. And the Falcons are so bad in pass defense, especially on like pass rush, that I can see the Bucs giving them issues. With that said, I don't know if the Bucs have the offense that's capable of beating a team by 10 easily. I'm not necessarily sold on the Bucs being able to build and extend a lead. I would have loved this spot had I not watched last Sunday Night Football, where the receivers are back for the Bucs uh, and the offense looked competent. I'm not touching Falcons. I think the nine is superficially attractive. It's a 4-0 team against the spread, a team that has proven that it can score points, and now you're getting almost double digits versus a team that is led by a 46-year-old quarterback who's going through a divorce. They just got blown out by the Chiefs. They're dealing with all these injuries. All the things that you just talked about. Whereas the Bucks just showed that they can score 25, 30 points. They're only going to get, I mean, there was no meaningful injuries from that game on the offense perspective. They weren't able to run the ball. And one of the things that we saw the Bucks mature, maybe it wasn't last year, maybe it was two years ago when they were running the ball at all the inopportune times. And then they shifted. And now it took the bye week to do that. Yeah. But Falcons defense is still not great. Falcons are now on the road. Offensively potent, yes. But now also miss a key star. Versus a Buck defense that's still top five, for sure. I wish it trended more closer, like, to that seven. This is one that I would like uh, the alt line for the Bucks. Minus 16 and a half. Blowing them. Blowing them out. Yeah. We haven't seen that performance yet from the Bucks. But this is as good as any opportunity to do that. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm ready to chase that. But I hear it. Otherwise, you're saying the Falcons are going to be 5-0 and ATS. Yeah. yeah. Titans minus 2.5 on the road versus the Commies. Man, these are two teams that the market is way down on. But even still, this is just how far down the market is on the Commanders. It was 3, so there was some buyback on Washington. This is one maybe you're trying to catch a falling knife on Washington. This might be like that square sharp play. Now I think Dotson is hurt for Washington. 
this is not one that I just don't know if you can bet Washington yet. There's just not been like anything positive to see. If we combine their offensive and defensive drive quality metrics, Washington is 32nd best in the league. And that passes the eye test. Yeah, they've been dreadful aside from that week one game where Wentz was hitting some deep bombs. Yeah. And like we talked about in the preseason previews, talking about if you're going to play the Jags, you want to play the Jags early. And Washington got them week one. Yeah. And they still almost lost. Yeah. And they Very grew the lead. As a Jags, a futures backer. Uh, in, in hindsight, but... Oh, yeah, I think but we have plenty of opportunities to cover that. Yeah, I'm not betting this game, but I, we're really running up thin in Circa. Yeah. We're I think Titans could be potentially... Because it's a comfortable line. You know, yeah. at the minus two and a half, under the field goal. So it could potentially be popular for that, just because there's so much negative sentiment on Washington. And Tennessee's been, I mean, they can score points. I mean, we know they can score points right on the first drive of the game. <laughs> so yeah. it's like they're basically in a front with a 7-0 lead. So if I say, all right, Tennessee starts off 7-zip, then do you like Tennessee minus 2.5? I don't like it because you can't bet. You certainly can't back Washington, but also like the thesis has not changed. I would not be surprised to see Carson Wentz throw two 60-yard touchdowns this week. And like just when everyone is like ready to hop off the Wentz variance train, like it swings right back. Yeah. I, just, I, just, I think they're going to be missing the, Dotson too. So that's... They're going to be missing Dotson. They still have Samuel and they still have... Exactly. And they still have McLaurin. Yeah. And like they use Gibson Will as a receiver. Tennessee's not good enough for me to use the, okay, Washington's been really bad. Um, yeah, you can't bet Tennessee, not in the contest, because worst case scenario is you try to get a little clever with Tennessee and then it turns out to be a popular pick and then you really feel like a bonehead. Yeah, I can't take either side of this. They're better options. But Washington is definitely not going to be a popular pick, especially no. if it's at two and a half. No, and if you wanted alpha... It's going to be with Washington. Yeah. You could also feel like a bonehead if they just yeah. get demolished. <laughs> bet Wentz. Yeah. yeah. Betting on Carson Wentz, what could possibly go wrong? Chargers at Cleveland. This was three for a while, and now it's gone under. So Chargers now minus two and a half. Road favorites. Two and a half is definitely more attractive than three, of course. But on the road, you can't trust them. I trust him. You trust him. Especially in a thin week like this. There's a huge disparity in quarterbacks. Huge. The Browns defense has been really bad. This is also one I wrote up this week. And they played a super easy competition so far. I mean, they played incredibly easy competition so far. I'm not exactly sure that's being priced into the market. I just don't see a Jacoby Brissett Browns team in the same tier as the Chargers. Right? Especially if the Chargers are getting healthy. Okay. Slater and Bosa done. That's bad. That's going to hurt them. Luckily, they still have Will Mack who will cause disruption. He's going to be matching up against Jedrick Willis. That's definitely a, a, a favorite to Khalil Mack. Rashawn Slater, bad injury. Justin Herbert of all quarterbacks. Doesn't matter as much. Getting Keenan Allen back, though, that would be huge. Getting JC Jackson back and a little healthier, also big for their secondary. Do we know if any of those Browns injuries from last week are still going to be lingering and creeping into That's, this? No, that was the other thing. That was the other thing. I initially saw Miles Garrett two to four weeks, but I don't know if that's... That's true. Looking at that car he was in, you think he'd be out for the season. I don't know if you saw the picture of the car he was in. I didn't see it. Adam Schefter reported over the weekend 
injuries expected to hinder him for the next two to four weeks. No Garrett. That's definitely going to mitigate some of those offensive line weakness. And like their interior is brutal, allowing like the 30th worst uh, rush EPA. The Chargers are always going to be able to pass. If you can build in, this is the sticky point. If you build in that they'll also be successful running, which takes a lot of pressure. I think off of Herbert to do everything. I just think the Chargers, I think are going to score a ton of points. And I don't think Jacoby Brissett has it in him to stay with the Chargers. I like that angle. Also, because the narrative I'm hearing on this game right now is, we know the Browns are great at running the ball. They're one of the best teams running the ball. Arjun, you know, is out there talking about how the Browns are better from an EPA perspective running the ball than most teams are passing the ball. And all oh, the Chargers, that was their Achilles heel last year. They got shredded on the ground. And I think that narrative is leaking in to this year. And all oh, the Browns are going to meaningfully exploit that. And I think moving from three to two and a half, that's a big move. It's a very big move. It's the biggest half point move there is. So sure. if we disagree with that narrative a little bit misaligned and we're saying we're getting the better quarterback not, not under a, a field goal. Not just a better quarterback. Way better quarterback. Way better. There's a huge gap. I think also, yeah, the Keenan Allen news is big. If Keenan Allen's playing and we know Miles Garrett's not playing, I think that might be the clincher enough for me, especially if it stays under the field goal in a week where so far we haven't found anything to like. All right, Niners at the Panthers. Niners almost minus a full touchdown, minus six and a half. Our friend Joe has been very vocal on Twitter this week, defending his boy, <laughs> Baker Mayfield. He has to do it every week. He's got some merit. He's again, I think the everyone blaming Mayfield for everything that's going wrong with the Panthers is also not a correct it's, narrative. Joe might have a great point, but like, He's manonizing the player here. Regardless of how effective he actually is in isolation, is totally irrelevant in trying to predict the Carolina Panthers' production. Trying to save Baker Mayfield's reputation is nice, but does he have any angles to say that they're going to produce better? Mm. Like, it, all of the reasons, all of the faults that he's saying are not actually Baker's are very well attributable to the Carolina offense, and there's no reason to think, oh, that's automatically going to just change. Yeah. There's some, like, really damning stat that I, looking at, like, perfectly covered plays and how actually a lot of it is a function of the offense more so than the defense like cliff kingsbury for instance when i was looking at the offseason ranked top three every single year and the panthers are like a, facing a perfectly covered play at like six to three percent of the time it's a function of three things one your like offensive scheme two how good your receivers are and three the defenses you play they're like 12 percent more than any other offense i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that ben mcadoo is their offensive coordinator yeah that's not changing Right, Baker Mayfield throwing into tight windows and not having many good options is not really changing. There are legitimate reasons to think like the Panthers' offense is absolute garbage. One of the reasons why there's this army of Twitter haters on in Joe's threads nonstop is because that narrative is pretty well accepted by the market. Because yeah. I don't think there's anyone out there trying to defend the Panthers or Baker Mayfield besides Joe. Yeah, I've been betting I've at Panthers in the offseason. I've written up same game parlays, betting on the Panthers each of the last two weeks. I'm every bit on the train. I'm even going to make a case now for why I don't think they're a terrible bet. You're going to make a case for Panthers plus six and a half. Yeah, I see this game as like a real defensive struggle, turnover, 
determines the outcome of the game here. Like, I have not seen a thing from the San Francisco offense, and there are two big things that are really holding me back from just, like, letting myself go to, oh, the Niners are just going to be the same offense with Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan as they've always been. Which is one, I think that, like, Mike McDaniel clearly had an outsized effect on that offense in terms of play design. It's... He's taking the Dolphins to new heights, and I'm not a I'm not a film guy grinding the film, but it's certainly by the, by the results of it, uh, Kyle Shanahan has not had the same magic this year. That's the first thing. The second is like the Trent Williams losses enormous for them, right? Yeah. He's so much of what they want to do on offense, and now they're just like full of weak links on the offensive line, which I think like the scheme can mitigate that, which they did last last week by like throwing screens on third and ten. In obvious passing downs, but like you're only going to get so far when you're throwing screens on third and ten every time, and you are limiting your offensive capabilities if the entire goal is just to not have Jimmy Garoppolo get sacked. Okay, so the case against the Panthers—they've had a legitimately good defense for years now. I don't see them as moving the ball at ease, and I just see this as a real ugly game—a 17-14. If Baker can hit DJ Moore for a long play, or if they're on the right side of turnover. Variance, I can see them covering the six and a half. Six and a half is too much in a game with a total of 39. Oh, yeah, I like it. I especially like it if Circa gets a little generous with us, tilts us and in an anticipatory fashion to the full seven. We'll find out tomorrow when the contest lines get released. But in reality, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets to seven, seven and a half by kickoff because this is a one way train. The other thing is, again, because I'm a big markets guy, big narrative guy, trying to assess what's driving pricing. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why, too, I think we make such a good partnership and good combos because we complement the way that we handicap and evaluate these games. You do a great job of doing a lot of the fundamental research. But one of the things was there was like very little confidence to be pounding the table on the Niners versus the Rams at home minus one. All I saw was Rams, 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 Rams. Some of the injuries there near the end of the week soured a little bit of that enthusiasm, but I saw very little Niners support out there. One of our buddies, Josiah Sharp Clark was like, I feel like one of the only real vocal handicappers out there who was like really pounding the table on the Niners. You didn't like the Niners no. last week or you didn't want, you didn't want exposure no. to it. To that game. I liked the Niners last week. I ended up betting the alt line on that one as well, which ended up covering nicely. And now all of a sudden everyone likes the Niners again. In one week, like this whole narrative flipped. They weren't. Oh, Jimmy G sucks. Oh, he's just as bad as we thought he was. Oh, maybe it doesn't matter. Oh, maybe it's just Shannon. Oh, Shannon has you just so smart. And yeah. this defense looks really good. Uh, like, this game is really easy to boil. Or the, like that last game. Debo Samuel actually caught the 70 yard touchdown, which he had. So you're saying, where's Debo Samuel so far this year? Yeah, that's what I was saying before. Where's yeah. Debo Samuel? Yeah. Okay, he caught the one touchdown and like they got a pick six. It wasn't a, a dominant offensive showing by any means. It's and like, there was multiple J Jimmy G throws in classic Jimmy G fashion that were near pick sixes themselves. Yeah, that just like, that's what I'm betting on in the Panthers game here. Which is like the market is pricing a meaningful upgrade over the Niners. And it's like nothing's changed. If anything, like this offense has shown very little. And it's like they're totally reliant on Debo Samuel to score a 70 yard touchdown. Sure, that might happen. But if the answer is like just fading that singular outcome, I kind of like the Panthers. One of the things I like to take into consideration too when we're evaluating handicaps is you don't want to just take the points. Again, what you like to talk about a lot is the alt lines. And what I was going to say was, can we see this team, do we see a plausible scenario where this team wins the game? 
Because if, if you're only just trying to yeah. squeak out a spread victory, and that's where you see the value, that's not enough. We need more. We yeah. need multiple scenarios that have viable propensity to to play out. Yeah. Can we see the Panthers winning this game? Would you bet Panthers minus three? No, I would only bet the money line. I would. <laughs> sure. I think that's a great call. That's a great call, and it's like particularly unlike me to give a spread pick because I almost never actually just bet spreads. Yeah. yeah. Look, the case I think is this game is extremely low scoring. Turnovers are going to be the name of the game here, and Carolina ends up on the right side of a 50-50 coin flip there. Yeah. And in a tough week where we're not finding again a lot of yeah mispriced risk right now and ugly yeah. matchups, this might sneak its way in. If we get that seven, that does definitely make it more palatable. It is a good reminder number one that this is not just for the purposes of circa, and number two, would I've given the same handicap if we did it first? Probably not. Yeah, that's good to know. Eagles minus five and a half at Arizona. Arizona sneaks out another ugly win. I like the Cardinals. They're getting healthy. Rondell Moore's back. Maybe there's a little bit of projection. Hoping that, like, Rondell Moore takes the Christian Kirk role in the offense. I'm, def I'm definitely bullish on the Cardinals long-term. Definitely bullish. Already bet them 10 to 1 to win the division. Just bet them 70 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Separate discussion, though. The defense With is the actually... expectation that they're going to get healthier. You know, just like Hopkins Deontay Hopkins back. is going to come back. And, like... It's mostly the long-term plays are just a sell of the NFC. All of Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Dallas, San Francisco, LA all got meaningfully worse from last year. I mean, I think the Cardinals are probably better on offense and have great depth there. And their defense has gotten <laughs> played better every single week since defense, playing the Chiefs. Defense is top five, excluding week one. Obviously, you can't exclude week one, but like playing Patrick Mahomes is a different animal than playing everyone else. And he's Safe. not top five in EPA. Weeks two through mm. four. Here is my hesitation for the Cardinals. I'm, I've always been bullish on the offense, despite that I think Cliff Kingsbury is not the best play caller or getting scheming guys open, whatever it is. Kyler Murray himself can carry the offense. But if the defense is not a train wreck, and my fear was like, oh, actually, this might be the 32nd defense in the league because they like really got destroyed by Mahomes. Like this defense can return to like half of what it was last year. The offense is still really good. By our like drive quality metrics, they're the best of any playoff team from last year. I'm not ready to buy the Lions and Seahawks. Seahawks and Falcons are the only three NFC teams ahead of them. And the Eagles. No, I think there's edge there if the Cardinals defense is being priced like a bottom three, four unit. And in fact, it's maybe a potentially even top 15 yeah. unit. I mean, That's a material mispricing then. Yeah. But like the five and a half doesn't scream. I'm pretty surprised by it, honestly. I would expect this to be six and a half, seven. Yeah, which means there's a little bit of underlying support there. And it's certainly not public betters because no one wants to get in front of the Eagles. No, no one wants right to get now. in front of the Eagles. But I don't think they're the same dominant as Chiefs 2018, whatever. No. Pick your team, which is like relatively speaking, especially because the NFC is so bad and like, all of the best teams took meaningful downgrades. It's, oh, the Eagles have to be the best team kind of thing. The Eagles have not performed pretty much in the second half of any game. Even versus the Jags, they basically stormed back there even like before they half. Crazy second quarter. Crazy second quarter. Terrific there. I don't think they're that good. You could maybe get like a backdoor cover from Arizona on mm -hmm. this five and a half and as well. Down 10. Yeah. This is, this to me, plays the two-sided handicap. I'm certainly willing to bet it on the money line and the Cardinals halt line. I'm just, everyone's like, as, like crystallized in their head. Okay, Eagles number one, let's move on. 
we can debate the rest of the league. I'm not at all there yet. I think the Cardinals are really being undersold on defense and even on offense, especially with Rondell more healthy now. Okay, Cowboys plus five and a half at the LA Rams. I'm surprised this one hasn't moved a little bit more off the slacking from the Niners. The Rams look like they got some serious I think it, offensive line problems. Yeah, it went from six to four to five and a half. Okay, so a little bit of a sell-off and then a little dead cat bounce here. You just outlined it, though. Dallas is maybe the best pass rush in the league, and the Rams have a serious issue on the offensive line. I don't hate Cowboys in this instance. I think the Cowboys continue to play admirably. Yeah. Week in and week out. They're not impressing, but they don't look dysfunctional. Their biggest question marks from beginning of the season are actually turning into be like not such huge question marks, which is like Michael Gallup is back and healthy. They have the secondary receiving options. And mm -hmm. Tyler Smith, whichever one they just drafted, has been terrific, terrific at left tackle which was a huge question mark. It's like the offensive line isn't that big of a question mark anymore. The secondary weapons or just like players on the Cowboys offense have been fine. I think Cooper Rush has probably overachieved a little bit. He's like played really well under pressure, yeah. which is unstable. Yeah. When people are trying to talk about Cooper Rush's potentially trade material or another on, potential guys. starting quarterback, maybe it's a little bit too hot. You could still like the Cowboys this week and also say Cooper Rush is still not an NFL starting quarterback. Yeah, because it looks like he's a legitimate backup quarterback though. And For that's sure. good enough to cover yes. five and a half. Exactly. Especially when like, the Rams get killed by turnovers and sacks. And that's what the Cowboys do best. Usually I chalk up that kind of stuff to, to mostly variants and bounces and whatnot. But like the Cowboys are going to generate more sack fumbles because they get great pressure. There's good reason to think Trevon Diggs is going to generate interceptions. And Matthew Stafford is extremely prone to being sacked and getting picked off. It's been happening for years and years that I'm always willing to lean into that projection of the defense is actually going to help out the offense a lot in this spot that I don't hate the five and a half. But look, it gives me pause though. Matthew Stafford, far superior quarterback than Cooper Rush. And that should mean something. Stafford's a far superior quarterback than Jimmy G too. Yeah. Okay. Rams also, yeah, at home. And again, some negative sentiments swirling around them as well. I wouldn't be interested in, in betting the Rams here, particularly because you're going to the banged up offensive line versus a great pass rush, if not the best pass rush, versus still pretty elevated number. So yeah, it's, for me, it's probably Cowboys or bust. Colts at the Broncos plus three and a half. I saw this move down to three, so it looks like it got bumped back up to three and a half. This is from DraftKings. Some news swirling around potential banged up Russell Wilson. I don't think there's any question that he's going to actually not play. It looks like Jonathan Taylor's out. I'm not betting the Broncos out at three and a half. Probably not even at three. No, I see this as an all line or nothing. Broncos all line? Yeah, the Broncos all line is they hit on the deep plays. The Colts offense is still terrible. Broncos defense is good. It's at home. They have an outsized home field advantage playing in altitude. He hits Judy and Sutton for a big play. That's, that's all it means. Also, I love betting alt lines on teams like the Bears, like the Colts, where their offense could score 10 points, and that wouldn't surprise you at all. The opposing offenses need to do that much. It's like you build in an expectation with okay offenses or just like anything that's like competent. That's what we're looking for. Like competent offenses generally score between 17, 21, 24 right that like 
alt lines require for one team to really explode. I don't think that's true for the Broncos Colts. Like, it wouldn't be surprising, like 24 10. Yeah. But yeah, three and a half is a lot for a team that's really underperformed. Yeah. Too, and maybe we don't know how bad the Colts are. Because if the Colts are really bad, we're doing our 2023 preseason preview and we're looking back at like, look how long the market's held on to yeah. that Colts well, narrative. Game against just didn't know really how bad they were. Yeah, they had a game against the Chiefs. They're 32nd in an offensive draft quality. And certainly looked apart. I mean, it's not like they're playing dominant defenses here. And as for as much as I talked about how I didn't like Russell Wilson this year, I could see him really underperforming. He's not underperforming as bad as I thought he potentially could. And so many people had such high expectations for him. And he's definitely not meeting those. And because he's not meeting those very high expectations, everyone's, oh, man. You know, people are now trying to adopt the narrative I was touting preseason. When, in fact, I don't even necessarily buy my own tout of it right now because it hasn't even fully come to fruition. Like, he's playing okay. He's not playing bad. And Dan's talking about Shaq Leonard's out again. Shaq Leonard's out again. Yeah, he is, he is. Yeah, and Dan also brings out, like, Colts are having their own offensive line issues. I, the Colts offense is god-awful. They're actually playing a good defense. Like one of the defenses that generally limits offensive production, like relative yeah. to expectation. I still don't know if I would want to bet Broncos three and a half. For no, I'm not betting Broncos three and a half. Definitely betting the alt line. Alt lines. Yeah, I like that. Broncos alt line. Giants at the Packers plus eight. Yuck. It was nine. Seems like a lot of points. If there's no Daniel Jones. Because even a banged up Daniels, I probably can't touch, probably can't touch Giants. Can't touch the Giants. I don't think you can touch Packers either. Because in the past, when no Danny Dimes, the future Giants offense became even more putrid and really couldn't do anything. Yeah. And even a hobbled Danny Dimes, it became really bad because his mobility is key. Not just does it actually add a benefit and a new angle to the offense, but it helps him get out of the inevitable nasty positions he's gonna get himself in. Yeah. And if he loses the mobility, then that happens even more often. Yeah. And Rashawn Gary is looking like a Ooh, defensive defense player of the year. For, yeah, 100%. Yeah, definitely not taking the Giants. For sure not. Again, same idea about betting on really bad offenses. Right? It's like that tier of offense that you don't want to bet on. Packers side's also a little difficult. Like the Giants defense has been surprisingly good. They're blitzing a ton, and despite not actually generating turnovers, they're playing at a top 10 rate. Credit to Wink Martindale there. But who have the Giants also played? So Titans, Bears, Panthers, bad Cowboys. Yeah, not great. The Packers are Beth, not put, instilling any say, fear in their offense. At I was going to say, I think the Packers are in the same tier of offense. I would say this is the best offense they've still played. Titans. I could see the Packers offense getting better as I could see it getting better in the Patriots game as Rodgers like continues to develop real game experience chemistry trust with these young yeah. wide receivers yeah this framing has me actually liking the Packers like Giants offense can't really can't score and Rodgers is getting more comfortable with Dobbs. And if he takes a big step, I think that's all the Packers need to return back to where they were. 
The running backs are still great. We has Lazard as the wide receiver too. It wouldn't shock me to see them put it all together in this game in the same way it's like the Bears opponent. And like the Giants defense doesn't scare me. The one concern here is Packers run defense and the Giants effectively utilizing vintage Barkley what we're seeing. But this is where it's like, there's no way Daniel Jones is 100%. There's no way. In which case, like, they are going to be, like, loading the box to the nth degree. Do you like to think they can slow him down? But who knows? You can't bet the Giants the eight is not attractive. My main takeaway is from the last few years, ever since the in the Danny Dimes era, you do not bet the Giants if Danny Dimes... First of all, you probably should just not bet the Giants. But you definitely don't bet the Giants if Danny Dimes is banged up. Pit... Pittsburgh Steelers plus 14 on the road at your Buffalo Bills. Is this enough points to bet rookie quarterback who's going to dink and dunk versus a Bills defense that is vulnerable to the dink and dunk? You're not going to take the top off the Bills, but I don't think he's going to even be trying to do that. Good luck dinking and dunking your way to covering 14 against the Bills. I think it's like a, it's more similar to the 28 nothing style against the Dolphins from a couple years back. I don't think you, I bet either side though. My 14 is just huge margin there. Bills alt line, this is another one that could be attractive. Yeah, Bills alt line's attractive. I wonder even at what price. I think we're actually betting alt line starting at 14. I don't even know if there's <laughs> anything good there. I mean, if you could get like 21 and a half plus 280, I like that. I don't like that. I almost maybe Bills minus 14 because this is a line that's trying to scare you with a lot of points. Yeah. And the book's trying to say, how many points do we need to give the Steelers to make sure that people don't bet the Bills? Bills, yeah. Because this could unwind fast. Yeah, also like the Steelers defense can't stop a nosebleed. And I think there's like the handicap from last week from those that we heard, there's this illusion still that like, Pittsburgh has oh, like no, they have an opportunistic manager. defense. That's a good point. Also another but it's not a good defense. Significant thing to note is that Gabe Davis practiced for the first time fully. He's back healthy. The offense should be at full strength. Yeah, why am I what are we scared about the 14 here? If I like him at 21, I like him at 20, 28, I should like him at 14 too. I guess the the only wrinkle is maybe Pickett is gonna, there's not a lot of film on him, this type of stuff, and this just is like one of those games the Bills just don't push it. They don't want to put a lot of stuff on tape or something. They know they're gonna be, they know they're the better team. They're at the point where they don't want to push film. That's that's an argument why they're not gonna up 35-3 or whatever. But 14, they should still cover. And even in the short period of time, we saw Pickett throw three picks. Yeah versus the Jets. Yeah, it's like he didn't do, he came in with the lead against the Jets. I think what we have to admit is, prob- is probably an upgrade, or at least it, well, again, it provides like that Zach Wilson effect of it's going to increase the variance. There's more unknown unknowns, more uncertainty, which can skew the potential. If this was Trubisky, then I think it's attractive, the 14. Because yeah. then it's like a more known known. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. But I think it works both sides against a, a quality defense. Yeah. All right. Houston Texans plus seven on the road at the Jags. Can the Jags rebound and demolish a bad team, similar to what they did versus Charge? I feel like the Jags are certainly comfortable really putting, like blowing the doors off a team if they can. Yeah. 
I mean, they beat the Chargers 38-10. It's also like in Peterson's DNA as well. Yeah. Especially coming off a game like that. Right where they... Oh, yeah, he's feeling probably very butthurt. I'm sure he yeah. really wanted to beat the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. We're obviously very high on the Jags. We know what the Texans are. Right? There's the certainty of what the Texans are, which I think is comforting. They're like they're not going to be better than a top three team. They're plucky, but they're also like not going to be able to continually sustain drives to give the Jaguars any damage. And the Jaguars are good offensively and are not afraid to be aggressive. With. I like the seven. I think I like the seven. Texans need a good ass whooping themselves. True. Bengals, Ravens, Bengals on the road at Ravens plus three. I'm very interested to hear your take on this one. Actually, I know you're definitely higher on the Ravens than I have been, but I also know you like. Trying to buy the Bengals cheap. Yeah. I'm about to warn. I see this has a perfect matchup for the Bengals to take advantage of the Ravens. Like receivers who are going to roam free against the Ravens secondary, which is like what's been giving them issue. Right. Dolphins game stands as example number one of that. And even still to date, we've seen opportunities where we think like, oh, here's the time for the Bengals to load the top off this defense, really take advantage of it. Yeah. And they've won some games. And there's been a little flashes here, but it hasn't really come to life yet. No, it has. Other points last week were off those big plays, but it wasn't the same kind of dynamic. Jamar Chase, a seven-yard touchdown. But I'm sure you can tell me exactly why I have a lot of pause betting this game. In a three-point game between the Bengals and the Ravens. Head coach. Yes. Even if I have a slight fundamentals lean towards the Bengals here, ooh, cannot bet against Zach Taylor, especially against John Harbaugh. No, because you're basically if you're betting the three, unless you're looking for a push, you're basically saying because I think the Bengals are going to win this game. Yeah. And what didn't the Bengals sweep the Ravens last year? That was like the Bengals coming out party last year was when they torched the Ravens, and I feel like I've been hearing that being cited a lot as ammunition for how Ravens have a weak secondary. Everyone's taking advantage of the Ravens defense. That's the market angle. Again, you've been pretty on target on both these teams from a fundamental perspective, when to buy them and when to sell them. This is a weekend I'm holding off. Raiders plus seven right now at KC. We've been down on the Raiders, been pounding the table on their under all off season. They're one in three, but I will admit I mean, they're probably better than what one and three suggests they yeah. are. And we weren't necessarily pricing in them starting O oh and three and one and three. This yeah. is like best case scenario happening right here. Yeah. And very likely they're probably going to be one and four, obviously, yeah. as seven point underdogs. But minus like last year, like those Gus Bradley defenses that I got taken advantage of. The two years ago, remember the, Ra- the Raiders beat the Chiefs and then almost beat them twice. Again, different team, so yeah, I was say, different coach, teams. but... I'm a little torn here, only because the seven's still a lot, especially for a competent offense. The Raiders are certainly competent in offense. And which Chiefs are we going to get? Are we going to get the 44-point teams or the yeah. kind of clunky against the Chargers? I can see them blowing them out, and also, like, we have a lot of data off. The Chiefs are, like, let teams back for the covers. Right? And that's the thing that I talked about a lot. This just doesn't strike me as the spot to be all over them. I'll never be upset. Betting on the Chiefs, but seven seems like the right number, and I like don't think we can hold in our heads both that they're going to be spots for Chiefs explosions, and like understanding like last week was about a market price, 
right? The why I was all in on the Chiefs had everything to do with the fact that the Bucks were favored in the game. It wasn't like a take on the Chiefs per se. It was all about relative to context. And right? also that was a two-sided handicap. Two sided handicap, exactly. It was a two-sided, and I just like hearing this, like, how could you possibly say like oh, which Chiefs offense are you gonna get when you came out so strongly last week saying, Oh, they're gonna be this? It's all relative mm -hmm. to expectation. Yeah. And I think it's caught up. Yeah. Seven seems like the right number. Yeah, we're always looking for two-sided handicaps. I feel like we're straining to find one-sided handicaps. <laughs> yeah. Certainly five of them. I think we like Chargers. Yes, right. Chargers. That's one. And I was telling the Browns. Oh, the maybe Jaguars, Texans. Yeah, I would say Jaguars, Texans is a top five at this point. Yeah. What? And the Bills. Yeah, oh, if we want to get cute, we're doing Panthers. Yeah, if I want to get cute, Panthers or Cardinals, I think is the way to get cute. I feel way more comfortable with Cardinals. Me too. Me too. I couldn't even articulate a great case for the Panthers. Yeah, I'm, I would much prefer the Cardinals here. Like betting on bad teams versus betting on not bad teams. Totally different ballgame. It's just tough because we know the Panthers offense is struggling with at minimum execution because there's certainly talent on the field. I mean, what happened to Christian McCaffrey, for instance? Jeez. We know Carolina's bad coaching, bad execution versus a good defense i just don't know that's a that's the time for them to maybe break out of the slump if i had to give five right now i'd go packers bills chargers jaguars cardinals and then six would probably be i don't hate lions and i don't hate cowboys lions is definitely contrarian yeah. But I agree. I probably would rather do Lions than Panthers. Oh, for sure. At this point. Unless, like, if there's a weather element in Niners-Panthers, because basically what if you're betting the Panthers, you need it to be, like, ugly. This is what I've realized. I'm more confident in the handicap than I am Carolina coming out on top of it, which leads you to leave the unders to play. Or just, like, props of turnovers. What is the total right now? 40, 39. That's so low. Definitely one of the lowest on the board. But what we've seen this season, if a game is going to go under, it's gonna go 39 is very yeah. high. Yeah, it's a lot of tough handicaps. Yeah. Like New Orleans, Seattle. Don't think it's going to be so ugly. It's just a tough handicap. Jets, Dolphins. Don't think it's going to be so ugly. Tough handicaps. It's still a lot of time. Going to be injury news stuff, but we'll close tonight with essentially leaning. Probably the five that you just articulated. Yep. So that wraps up our recap of week four and preview of NFL week five. I've gotten a few DMs and say, hey, what happened to the Sunday night tilt? I think we'll be doing the Sunday night tilt this this week. No, no, we won't be. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll find a way to, to get a sub for Judah for the Sunday night tilt this week. Again, 13 and seven circa on the right track. But now we're getting some of the toughest parts of the season, the month of October buys coming up slate is going to start to compress lines are getting tighter got to sharpen those pencils that's right thanks everyone for listening and that's closing bell